Well, hi everyone, and welcome back to Crosswires. It's James here, and this week we are going to be talking a little bit more about accessibility. We've talked about accessibility in gaming before. We've talked about accessibility in the web in a various different ways. Uh, we had a wonderful discussion with Chris Angel Murphy about accessibility uh, when it comes to things like pronouns on web forms. And we talked to Alex Dunn from Enable Play about making controllers for video games and computers more accessible. But what we haven't talked about yet is the accessibility of the games themselves. And our guest this week is the perfect person to ask. But before I introduce the guest, let me introduce my wonderful co-host. As always, Jay, how are you doing today? I'm doing okay. Today's been a, a uh, rough day at, at work. <laughs> but hey, it was it was all good. And uh, <laughs> can, can I just say, when you're scheduling your stuff, make sure you schedule without a gap <laughs> yeah that would be a good idea can i also say by the way that phrase is being a love, rough day at work is not a pre-recorded message we just inserted to jay's intro it is jay's actual day at work <laughs> yep but hey one one day i'll be over in england i'll be working at like maybe an aldi or a sainsbury or something like that so you know what it, it's only what i have to endure while in the united states <laughs> you've, you've got high estimations of yourself if you feel you're going to work at a sainsbury's do you so i know i'm joking i'm joking anyway it's always great to have you with us anyway let's introduce our guest so our guest this week is Brandon Cole, aka now I'm gonna get this wrong, totally blind No, a, a super super blind man. Super blind man, that's right. Which is a wonderful handle. I mean, have you been <laughs> inju- inducted into Justice League yet? You know, I'm I'm still waiting. I, I have I submitted the application and let me tell you one thing. Superman may be faster than a speeding bullet, but he is slow at processing paperwork. <laughs> <laughs> That's because that's he gets Robin to do it all for them, you know. Right. Yeah, no, Super, Superman delegates to Batman, and then Batman delegates to Robin. <laughs> that's it, right? <laughs> Brandon, thank you so much for joining us today. It's an absolute pleasure to have, us with it, have you with us. Do you want to tell people a little bit about yourself? I mean, there's one obvious thing that we probably need to mention up front, but only because it's relevant to the, what we're discussing. But sure. Over to you. Well, yeah, uh, I am Brandon Cole. I am totally blind, and I am a professional video game accessibility consultant. I work directly with game devs to make their games more accessible to the totally blind and have mostly succeeded. I'm known for making some pretty big projects uh, accessible to the the blind all over the world, and uh, that's kind of my legacy now. I know definitely uh, one of the the, uh, games that excites both uh, James and I is The Last of Us. Yes, indeed. Indeed, I worked on uh, the entire franchise. Now I can, I can, I can say I worked on the entire franchise because uh, it started with two uh, back in 2017. I started working on two, uh, but then when they were doing the remake of Part One, they brought me back in to make sure they got it all right again. And uh, so there you go. Excellent. So there we go. So if you're someone who's playing The Last of Us and you have vision problems, you can thank Brandon for the consultancy work to make that a better game. And I guess that leads us then into our our first big question is, why is it so important to make games accessible for people with... I mean, we're obviously going to talk a lot about vision impairments and, and sight loss, but just in general, why is it so important to make games accessible to anyone with a disability? Yeah, I think I think it's important the same way accessibility of anything is important. It's it's it is literally because everyone deserves 
to have access to everything. You know, you ask why it's important. I say, why not? Because, you know, the value, you know, we'll stick with games here, but the value of video games has, has increased, even though the past several years, you know, you talk about things like COVID, you know, that kind of thing, and how video games helped people through that time, you know, because video games are escapism. They are a portal to another world for a while. They're, they're a way to be someone else for a little bit. And why doesn't, you know, why wouldn't someone who is disabled also deserve that same freedom, that same opportunity to be someone else or be somewhere else or just escape for a little while into a game? So, yeah, why not? <laughs> I, <laughs> you know? I, that's a great point because, you know, we make, there's a lot of effort spent, and rightly so, on making sure that movies and TV shows are accessible to yeah. uh, people without vision, people without hearing. Uh, although I will admit, so it certainly it's gotten better in the last couple of years, but I do remember, um, you know, family members with hearing hearing losses struggling with some of the, should we say, less than perfect subtitling that yeah. used to be the case. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, and I guess a audio description is, is always is a part of a problem as well. But you've just made a really good point that everyone deserves that accessibility. Games are so much more now than they ever were before, a way for us to ex- escape from difficult situations or to just unwind and... It's probably more important than ever, given how games are becoming far more about a story than just a simple shoot the bad alien things that are coming down from above. Right, right. Yeah, and and the you know the blind want to experience those stories, and and you know that goes for you know all disabled people too. We want to have those same experiences. We want to be a part of you know gamer culture. Uh, games are things that people talk about after they've played them a lot, especially nowadays with those narratives, those big epic stories and those big experiences that you can have. So people talk about games and we want to have, we want to be a part of those conversations along with everyone else. Absolutely. I mean, that leads me, uh, I mean, Jay, any thoughts from you before I ask Brandon to sort of move into the next sort of thought on this? Cause we, we got some talking points, but just meant to be a chat. Well, I know one, one area I can speak of an, inter- an interesting perspective was World of Warcraft. Um, I remember, a while back, there was a uh, deaf guild that actually did all of the rating, which requires typically a lot of voice chat functions. They did it all using add-ons and different things like that. And then um, one thing I used to do years ago in my former self, uh, before I realized how ableist it was, I used to try like blindfolded challenges on stream. But I realized, oh my gosh, how much... I was missing in the game. And, and since then it has given me a better desire for games to be accessible. And, and I, and I, and, and it's, it, it made me realize, made me think about like what would happen if I didn't, wasn't able to experience the games the way that, the, 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 that I have been. And, and it helped me realize some of the areas where that I, things that I take for granted. So it is definitely something that I have always been fighting for. Like I fight for, games having accessibility options and making it where anybody can enjoy it. Yeah. It's, it's interesting. You mentioned world of Warcraft too, because there is now a set of mods for world of Warcraft classic that are made for the blind. So uh, now the blind can play world of Warcraft classic, specifically classic, not, not the retail version with, you know, dragon flight and all that fun stuff in it, but classic we can play uh, on our own or with groups with a lot of, uh, a lot of mods to help us out with that. So Oh, that's cool. Yeah, it's really great. It's it's really complex too. Like you wouldn't believe. Just just I'll I'll, put, I'll give you some perspective on this. So, there's a database 
that has every NPC, every interactable object in the entire world of Warcraft, uh, as far as as far as the classic has come, which is as far as uh, Wrath of the, of the Lich King, and that's the database that is pulled from when they make maps for us, which are done manually, by the way, from waypoint to waypoint to waypoint to get to our destinations. <laughs> and that's just really scratching the surface. Like that's that's I'm telling you just the beginning of how complex this mod is. It's it's really incredible. Wow. And that actually leads leads me back to a question which I forgot to ask in sort of the introduction. And it it's something that and I hope this comes across in the right way. As many people know, I'm I'm visually impaired, but my visual impairment just is is an impairment. I am not yeah. uh, I'm registered visually impaired, but I'm not by any means totally blind. However much you feel comfortable talking about this, what how does being totally blind from a because you know, Jay mentioned about blindfolding herself as a challenge to play a game or people talk about wearing like um, um, uh, sight reduction goggles as a way to experience what it's like to be blind, but it's not that simple, is it? It's not even close to that simple. I think the best way I can put this is uh, consider the fact that I, as a person who has been blind for essentially my entire life, technically I, I could see for two months, but I have no memory of it because I was born with a type of cancer called retinoblastoma, which attacks the eyes first. Um, of course, hence the name. So the eyes didn't last very long. <laughs> so, uh, so I have no memory of sight. So essentially, essentially, for, for all intents and purposes, I was born blind. So consider this. I have no concept of color. And that, that alone should give you enough perspective to see that blindfolding yourself or reducing your vision by artificial means is not even close to the same as being blind. And also think about this doing that same thing on a game that you've already played with your vision is still not the same, even if you're successful at it. You know, there's, um, what game was it? It was, it was like, I think it was one of the, the souls games or something like that, but there, there is someone cited that did a blindfolded run through some difficult game. I, I, I can't remember off the top of my head what it was, but I, I think it was one of the souls games or I don't know, Elden ring or something. I don't know, but they did it. And I, and I, you know, it's, that's, that's great. Good for them, I guess. But, it's not nearly as impressive because it wasn't their first playthrough. It was probably their maybe even like 10th, 20th, who knows they, they, you know, you do a lot of practice work for something like that and you memorize every detail, but you, how do you memorize those details? You do that with the senses that we don't have. (laughs) So, you know, it's, um, it's not even close to the same. (laughs) And I think that's why it's imp- it's important to bring it up because, like I said, I back when I used to do these, I did not realize again how how much um, privilege I had to, to be to be cited. And and since yeah. then, I I've I've stopped doing those challenges out of I I'd be like I'd be respectful. But it is I thank you for sharing that, Brandon. Thank you because because it's it's helped me understand new perspectives. I think there are right ways to do those challenges. Like I will fully admit to you, this is a hundred percent true. I actually wanted to partner up with someone at one point uh, and have them do like a last of us blindfolded type thing with like, with kind of me supervising to kind of be their coach sort of like I was trying to arrange something like that. Uh, That would have been cool. I never, I never actually got that done, but that would have been neat. And of course, it's worth just mentioning that obviously myself and and, and Brandon are on very different ends of the the 
uh, vision impairment and blind scales. Yeah. But it's worth it's worth mentioning for are so many different eye conditions and just because someone is visually impaired you don't necessarily know what the vision is. Vision impairment is not a one size fits all. Yeah. So my only request is someone who does struggle with, when I go out and about, I wear a contact lens. Unless you know me, you don't know that I'm visually impaired and I can still, I still struggle to see things without a, a, you know, additional lenses, even with my contact in. So my only request to people is don't assume anyone's sight absolutely because like I've, I've got my own issues but i mean i i i solve sorry i was not trying to be i was, I was trying to be but i i I, I, I experienced uh james's um visual impairments f- firsthand i mean and it, it was and i was there for him well thank you yeah and and then this speaking of attitudes i'm liking the way this is flowing today <laughs> you know we're getting Good like stuff. linus yeah. Linus levels of segues here, folks. It's good. <laughs> hang, on, look, hang on, have I got something I can drop? Hold on. <laughs> I've got some hardware I can drop. No. Um, Don't what, drop so, your new Mac Mini. <laughs> no, I'm not. Oh, yeah, we'll talk about that. Oh, gosh. Uh, I love this thing. Anyway, what's been the... So maybe, like, Bo, a, a comparison even now and then, what's been the attitude of game studios, you know, the developers and the designers of, of these games? And, and again, we are focusing on games here, but have attitudes changed or or have you ever had, like, a, oh, my, we don't care kind of attitude? Oh, oh I, I'm so happy you asked this question because I get to tell this fantastic story now. So... <laughs> Back in 2014, I was invited to the Game Developers Conference to speak at a panel. And at the time, I didn't have a career in this. I was just the blind gamer perspective. Uh, someone had noticed my blog about you know accessibility in video games and thought that I should speak. I thought that I had good perspective on this. So they invited me out there. And while I was there, I decided that I would walk the show floor and try my best to promote accessibility to the developers mm. that were there. Because it's, it's GDC. There's tons of developers there what better opportunity right yeah so i do that i head down there and i find this one guy who is and i don't remember that i don't remember his name anymore so i can't i can't give him up so he's all i remember is he's developing a shooter i know it's i remember it's a shooter but i don't remember what it was called so i don't even know if it ever came out i have no idea but he was working on a shooter and he had a demo of it there at gdc in 2014 and i started talking to him about accessibility and how I how I could envision his shooter being accessible to the blind. Mm. His response was to laugh at me. He literally he laughed at me and said, "I don't think so." <clears throat> so I, you know, let, <laughs> let me put it this way: I would love to meet that guy again, point to my resume, and then say, "Who's laughing now?" <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, to answer your question, uh, attitudes have changed very drastically. Uh, in 2014, back then, accessibility was only starting to be a part of the conversation, even at GDC. You know, they had had an accessibility track uh, at GDC for developers to learn about accessibility for, I think, a couple of years by that point. But it wasn't, you know, it hadn't taken off yet. I really honestly think the thing that truly kicked off the accessibility movement in the games industry might just be the Game Accessibility Conference that started in 2017. And uh, that, that I think, did wonders for the accessibility movement in the game industry. I, you can literally look at their attendance for the for GA Conf, the Game Accessibility Conference. You can look at their attendance year over year, and you can see 
the rise of accessibility in video games. Like, no kidding. There's just more developers that go there every year. And it's, it's great. It's, it's a fantastic idea and it, it has worked really well. I mean, there's, it worked so well. There are now two to three of them per year instead of just one. So I mean, it's pretty great. An interesting thing that I, that I've, I've still have noticed is sometimes players will be like, why are they spending time on these instead of like adding more content to the game yeah. or yeah, something that's... like that? And I, I, I know like, one that I that I I have like pushed for better accessibility on in terms of like m- mechanics is Cuphead. I've said like like Cuphead for instance is incredibly tough, and, yeah. and they're like and, and someone's like easy mode hurts me, and I'm like no, you can play the game how you want, but adding mm-hmm. more accessible accessibility mm-hmm. to a game doesn't hurt you in any regard. It means that more people get to enjoy that game. And see, from my perspective, when I work on a game. I don't look at it quite the, the way that that person did. When I work on a game, I am not creating an easy mode. That's not the way that I see it. I'm creating, no. I'm creating as close as close to equality as I can. That's what I'm. That's what I'm doing. I'm I'm, I'm bringing the the experience of a sighted person that would play that game as close to I can. You know, as close to parity with with the blind experience as I can. So it doesn't have to be easy. In fact, I you know we'll probably get into this more later, but. Forza is a difficult game. It's a simulation racing game. It is intended to be not easy. Mm. And uh, that is preserved. <laughs> it's not easy, even, you know, for a blind person using all the, the features that we have for for them. It's not easy, but um, it's going to be playable. Absolutely. You're just going to have to work at it like everyone else. And are there any, you know, sort of standouts at the moment? Because, you know, we're talking about attitudes and, and studios that are, you know, doing things right. Are there any standouts of studios or, well, yes, yeah, studios, basically, who are really going that extra mile right now? I mean, obviously, we've got the uh, folks at, now I've forgotten the name of the studio for Last of Us. That's really Naughty bad. Dog. Naughty Dog, there we go. Yep. Naughty Dog, obviously, have taken this seriously by bringing you on for, for a remake of part one. They could have just, I mean, legitimately, they could have just said, you know what, Let, let's just leave the accessibility in part one as it is let's focus on everything else obviously they brought you in yeah Mm -hmm. and they they wanted to make sure they did it right too and yeah there's there's even been features added since launch of the remake of part one that some people don't even know about because they're not they're not very widely publicized but there there's new stuff in there fantastic so are there any you know standout studios who you think deserve a, a special shout out for for their passion for accessibility maybe if you've way around too well of course, I have to shout out my, my people at, at Turn 10 for Forza. I mean, because I'm currently working with them. So, <laughs> you know, I have to shout them out. They've really come a long way. Their accessibility journey started, uh, most of it started with Forza Motorsport 7 and carried over into, you know, they, they kind of, you know, Forza as, as a franchise, there's a little bit of interconnectivity there. So some of that stuff carried over to Forza Horizon 5. Forza Horizon 5 expanded on some of the stuff from Forza Motorsport 7. And now here we are at Forza Motorsport, which, you know, doesn't have a number next to it. Because it's, you know, it's going to be a more long-term thing. But here we are with that. And the accessibility journey is, you know, it, of course, it's still going. There's still a lot to be done. But yeah, definitely shout out to them for, for all their work and uh, the journey they've been on. I think, I think Ubisoft should be shouted out too. They haven't, they haven't perfected blind accessibility yet. But typically with every new game they release, they have done something more. So their journey is is a little bit slower than some other studios' uh, journeys have been for accessibility, but it is happening, and they are working at it. And th- those 
the building blocks are there and you can, you can see them in their games as, as they've gone through the past, the past few years or so. So Ubisoft, I would say a uh, good studio uh, has, have, have some, has some great people working at Ubisoft too, by the way, multiple people in the accessibility uh, field uh, that work directly for Ubisoft, man, there's, there's a, uh, there's a few out there. Um, there's some I can't mention yet. <laughs> oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I have other clients. Let's just put it that way. <laughs> gotcha. Gotcha. Um, but, uh, you know, there's some really good people out there. Uh, there's some accessibility champions out there. Uh, even, even Rockstar, who I've had a pretty big beef with for a long time. Rockstar has recently started hiring accessibility specialists. Uh, not me oh, yet. Wow. Still, still waiting for that. But, um, they have, they have, they, they have an accessibility, uh, team now. I think they have five people that are just on accessibility now, which is actually more than some other studios. Believe it or not, Rockstar actually employs more accessibility people that are that are just there for accessibility than Naughty Dog does. Wow! So yeah, it's it's interesting, isn't it? <laughs> it is. I wonder if they'll ever go back and, and make Lemmings accessible. Hey, I, I would I would help them do it if they wanted to. <laughs> there you go. Well, we'll talk about retro a little bit later on. So that Lemon leads me because we're talking about you know what the work that goes into making these games accessible. Now, for me, and I'm going to admit my ignorance here, because again, when I think about accessibility, I think about, oh, make the text size bigger, make the yeah. inter- UI interface bigger. I remember, for example, really struggling, this is um, this ages me quite considerably, when uh, the original Command & Conquer was out, and you could either play it in Windows and have it in high resolution, or play it in DOS and have it low resolution, the problem was high resolution mode, on a little 15-inch CRT, I couldn't see properly because of... Oh, yeah. So I was playing in low-resolution DOS mode. There was no there was no in-between. There was no, you know, scale-up VUI, even in yeah. high-res. And, and you mentioned earlier, obviously, about color. Well, color is such an important part of a lot of games. What are the things that we need to think about that rather than making games accessible, actually make games inaccessible. I think the biggest, most important thing is, is channels of information. So when I talk about blind accessibility, I always, I always tell developers that blind accessibility is about information and what information is missing. So to someone who is visually impaired or just low vision, that information is still there just in a reduced format. And you can, you know, that's, it's easier for developers to understand how to correct for that. You know, again, I'm not trying to, to throw stones or anything. It just, it just is. When you ask a developer to consider what is missing for somebody, that's when things start coming together for them as to how they can maybe make their game accessible. What it, what it, what it breaks down to is if something is presented to the player in one single channel of information, then it's probably inaccessible to somebody. That's, that's one of the best and easiest ways to break it down. If you, if you have something that is only presented to you as a sound, for instance, then what are deaf people going to do? That's the only channel of information. There's no captions. So yeah, that's, that's inaccessible to them. If something is presented only visually, it's not accessible to a blind person. So, you know, it, it's all about providing as much information as you can through multiple channels of information. And if you can do that, you're on the right path toward accessibility. One area where I saw this uh, was like, for instance, social media like Mastodon or Twitter. Some people would either not, well, a lot of, pe- a lot of people still don't put alt text. Yeah. But sometimes people would use alt text as like a side joke, and someone's like, no, you don't add any extra information to alt text. You just describe the photo 
in the alt text has it as not, like don't use it as a commentary field like some people would use sometimes. I I'm a I I think I have an interesting opinion on that. <laughs> Go for it. I mean, Go for it. maybe it's because I have a sense of humor. I don't know, but here's my thought: as long as the photo is also described, I wouldn't mind an alt text joke. Like I I don't mind them. I think. I think when you when you approach alt text, what you really should do is try to convey whatever the thing is that the image is conveying. Mm. Your your job as the writer of the alt text is to convey the same feeling or the same reaction. And if you can do that, then you've done alt text right. If it's supposed to be funny, then make it funny. I don't okay. Care. <laughs> but yeah, because it can be as long as you're fulfilling the primary purpose of letting someone who can't see the, the image see the image yeah exactly. described and get the feelings associated with that image yeah absolutely and you know and things again as you said like uh for hard of hearing users making sure that games have subtitles is going to be so important that yeah. there's options to turn on subtitles for everything yeah captions uh speaker names uh yeah everything everything should be everything should be there everything should be accessible to everyone like i said nowadays uh games are getting into more uh directional uh captions as well where not only will the hard of hearing be able to uh, read the sound effects that are playing, but they'll also be able to in, uh, pinpoint where they are with uh, arrows that direct them to that the direction of the sound, so they know. Oh, that's, oh, good. that's cool. they know that the siren came from that way, you know. And how does that work on the flip side? Then, if you're only hearing audio, what can help you as someone who has no sight whatsoever? So, say for example, uh, you are playing a shooter. What works to allow you with targeting, with knowing where enemies are? What works in that sense? Are we talking audio description, or is it far more complex than that? No, it's it's way more complex than that. Um, it's a it's a whole suite of systems that work together to make a game accessible. Of course, I'm going to default to my uh, my own work, um, working mm, on The Last of, of Us uh, on on stuff like this. So there's a lot of parts to this. There's a lot of parts. Um, the first, probably most fundamental step is narration. Uh, any any text element of the UI should be narrated. Um, the blind should have access to anything that is that is text, and I, I mean everything. Um, I when I was working on The Last of Us, I made sure, even though I knew that I would probably never use it, that the photo mode menu was narrated, because I might not use it, but there might be someone with low vision, let's say, who, you know, maybe they're maybe they're having a tired eye day that day. Mm. And so they want to they want to take some photos, but they don't want to have to read all the all the text of all the filters and all the names of all the stuff. Well, turn on narration, and you can. So there you go. Uh, that kind of goes back to the multi-channel information uh, approach that I mentioned before. But you know, on top of that, there's so many other things working together. There's a whole system of audio cues that tell you all sorts of things, like when to press the crouch button, when to press the jump button, when to press the triangle button, interact with something. Uh, what you're picking up, what's on the ground that you can pick up, um, you know, uh, when to um, grab onto a dumpster and move it, you know, there's, it's a whole bunch when to throw something, uh, you know, all there's, there's so many audio cues we've added. I, I don't even know the exact number, but it's a lot. And all those are just provide more information, information that we would not otherwise have. On top of that, you have navigation assistance that uh, basically helps you get from point A to point B, or if you scan, if you use our enhanced uh, listening uh, mode, enhanced listen mode, which is another feature, uh, which allows you to scan for nearby items or enemies that are that are in within uh, within thirty meters of you, at the maximum. 
you can pathfind towards the item you scanned or the enemy that you scanned as well. And the reason that exists is because one unfortunate and giant thing that the blind are missing is the ability to see any of the environment around you. Oh, of course. Artists do great work. You know, no shade to the artist that drew this beautiful world, but no matter how beautiful it is, we still can't see it. And so in a giant, giant open 3D space, we need a little bit of help there. And that's what Navistus is there to provide. Just different ways to path to the things you want to get to, but still give you that freedom of choice. Do I want to go on with the main story uh, directly, or do I want to, you know, loot around here for a little bit and try to find some stuff? So on top of that, you have traversal assistance. And and that flows into, that kind of flows through navigational assistance, but works in much more subtle ways. Um, traversal assistance is there to help you with the other bits that you can't see, the kind of the, the smaller details. Like, for instance, to get to this, you know, this spot that you're going to, maybe you have to jump onto a ledge and then jump onto a higher ledge and then jump over a thing and then crawl under a thing and, you know, all that stuff. Traversal Sense is there to help you with all that stuff. It, it does little things and big things. It depends on what the situation is. One of the best examples I can give you is this. Before Traversal Assistance was designed, um, when I was in the studio testing out the, the accessibility features, before we had come up with this Traversal Assistance idea, there was a situation in The Last of Us 2, because in The Last of Us 2, you can climb through windows. And there was a situation where I broke a window and just could not get through it. And I could not figure out why. And we talked about it. And what we, what we determined, what we learned essentially was that the, the climbing through of windows in that game is kind of a very precise action. The game really wants to be sure that that's what you want to do. So it doesn't do it unless you're facing the window basically dead on, which is very difficult to do if you can't see the window. So that is where the, the beginnings of traversal assistance was, because uh, what traversal assistance does in that situation is something that's so subtle that, and this is the point too, it's meant to be subtle. It's not meant, meant to be something that's, that's overt. But the point is that the blind player may never know this is happening. But what it's doing is, if you're in that exact same situation that I was in, and you break that window, you'll get the jump prompt, which takes you through the window normally. But if traversal assistance detects that you're not exactly facing it, but you press the jump, indicating that you that's what you want to do after you've broken that window, traversal assistance kind of grabs a hold of your character for a second, and then turns them ever so subtly, so you are accurately facing the window, and then performs the jump for you. It's little things like that that that, that feature does. It's really, really cool. So it's enhancing the intent detection to say, oh, they've, they've smashed this window. The now next they press logical jump. Action, you know, they yeah. press jump. The logical action is they want to jump. But for a, for a sighted player, they know that they need to, it makes logical sense. Oh, yeah, if you're going to jump through a window, climb through a window, you, you face need to face first. the thing. Yeah. Yeah. But mm-hmm. f- yeah. Wow. So I've got a question then on that. Um, and I'm, I'm, I'm thinking like I can like the aspect of competitive play because does so has there ever been pushback from like for instance sighted players in the oh, competitive yeah. a- aspect because <laughs> it seems like it's helping the player versus here's the thing it doesn't even need to be competitive i found out shortly after last was two was released that there were sighted uh youtube content creators releasing videos that were just making fun of the features we had uh had put in for example the invisibility while prone feature in the last of us two that feature exists because we had to, I, I will actually admit, first of all, I, I, I've admitted this many times. 
um, that it was kind of a compromise, kind of a concession, because we didn't have time to develop a full auditory cover system. If we had, that would have been great, but we didn't have the time to do it at the time. So what we came up with was the invisibility while prone to provide the blind player with opportunities to play the game in you know a stealthy way instead of having to go guns blazing all the time because we want you to have that choice. Um, now we did, we do have things that make it so you can you can choose your challenge by uh, activating what we called uh, limited invisibility while prone, which gives you a time limit. So you're you're only invisible for so long, then you're then you're suddenly visible again. You'll, you're, you're notified by audio, by the way, when this happens. So it's not like, it's not like, like falsely done or anything like that. It's not, it's not, uh, it's not scary. Like, you know, when you know, when you're about to become visible, but the point is, uh, that's why we did that. That's why we made those features and we, and, and giving you the, the limited option allowed you to base the invisibility timer on the stealth difficulty. So the more difficult you set the stealth option to be, the less time of invisibility you would have if you had set it to limited. So you could still create your own challenge even while using that invisibility feature. But anyway, the point is, people made fun of it because they cited people. You know, it, to them, it makes it easy for them because of course it does. If you're invisible, super easy. If you're cited, you know exactly where every guard is, and you know exactly how to take out your enemies because they can't even see you. And ah, uh, it's, it's hilarious, right? Well, what they're not considering is this. It's, it's, it's pretty simple. Um, if these features were not in the game, these features that the, these, uh, these haters are making fun of, if they are not in the game, then a whole subset of people don't get to play the game at all. Because there are some segments that require you to be stealthy. There are some segments, you know, you have, a, you have choice a lot of the time in, in, in Last of Us, which is great. But sometimes they, they want to kind of, for story reasons, they want to they want to put you in, on a certain cinematic path, you know, and some, sometimes that means be stealthy. And if you can't, then you're just locked out and that's it. Uh, but they don't consider that because it's not them. You know, it's, it's, it's a whole thing. Now I've played a little bit of last of us on, uh, I think part two, uh, or maybe part one. I'm not sure. I've I played one of the last of us games on PlayStation five. Um, in fact, friend of the show, Joel, very kindly let me, uh, I mean, first of all, friend of the show, Joel, very kindly let me actually touch his PS five. Yeah. <laughs> let alone, let alone play last of us on it. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, just to cooperate that, there are sections of that game where if you move even so much as an inch in the wrong direction, you get spotted by, um, guards, way too many dogs, way too <laughs> yeah. many people. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, it's, and it's not a game where, you, like, say for example, Half Life, where there's ammo around every corner. Your ammo and your resources in that game are so finite that it is a whole thing. Um, but you need to, you know, consider yourself. I was thinking of another game, which, and I'd love to know if you know anything about it. This is off the cuff completely. I was thinking about um, games like Hitman, which require precise yeah. stealth and. Yeah. Things like that, yeah. I, I I'm familiar with the games in that I've I've listened to other people play them, but they're very very not accessible to blind people. But of course, I have ideas. We can make it happen. <laughs> there we go. I believe that's an Ubisoft title. Is it? Yes. Uh, is- I think they publish it. Yeah. Yeah. Don't, oh, it's, I think it's IO Interactive who actually yeah, IO Interactive um, developed it. But I think Ubisoft might publish it. I think you're right. Yes, I think so. And uh, I mean, love love the series, but there you go, opportunity for improvement. And I like this aspect of making it for everybody because there are, are certain games that I can only play. Like I am not great at like I, I know I'm cited, but I'm not great at like difficult games. And like at sure. the end of Resident Evil Village, mm. 
I went to easy mode because I just could not get the timing down yeah. with the, and the reaction time. And someone like would make fun of me for that. And I'm like, it's I still got to enjoy the game. I got to finish it. I had fun. Let me enjoy the game. Everyone should be able to play however they want to play. Exactly. Absolutely. And look, speaking of how they want to play, this kind of made me then realize, what about control interfaces? What about the controllers and mouse and keyboard? How does, because my, my, again, my limited knowledge and my ignorance, again, for those who don't know, people might think, oh, James, that's easy, Braille. Well, you've got to remember that not every visually impaired person uses Braille, yeah, and that's... Braille is not, I mean, look, Braille is not a simple thing to learn or even use. No, it's definitely not. Uh, Braille is not the answer here. In fact, uh, the unfortunate part about this is that Braille is actually becoming less universal amongst blind people these days, uh, because there are now multiple ways to access the same information we would have accessed in Braille back in the day. So a lot of I, I know a lot of younger blind people now just never learn Braille because it's uh, it's not nearly as essential as it used to be, which is a little sad because I learned it and I love it and I think it's great. But uh, yeah, well, so there it's, was a joke that a comedian made about Canada, which I, I think is a wonderful joke. It says Canada's such an inclusive and in, in, inclusive country that what was it? Um, you two two blind French lesbians can pay for their lunch using cash because the banknotes are bi- uh, uh, bilingual and have Braille on them. No, oh, there you go. <laughs> so it just made me... It's not the best joke in the world, but it, and I haven't told it correctly. But, yeah, I mean, I remember, you know, back in the day, working with, like, the Special Educational Needs Service, and we're like, oh, we could get you set up on Braille. I'm like, you know I can read a paper book right i just need yeah. a magnifying glass trying to explain that that difference people say oh do you use breath I'm like no because I, I i've never learned it yeah but um, and so yeah so go, looping back to a question how how do you handle things like controllers and and mouse and key or other input what's the what are the options well i think the best option right now for totally blind players is typically controller and that's because when you are forced to use a controller input, you know, when, as a developer, when you're developing a game and you're, you know, you're developing for controller, there's certain things that you tend to do automatically uh, without even thinking about it. Like for instance, uh, and this isn't always true, but a lot of times um, developers who know they're making games for a controller will make it. So using the directional pad will move through menus in a perfectly reasonable and, and linear way. Whereas with the mouse, you have to know where the thing you're clicking on actually is. You have to, you have to, you know, physically move the mouse to point at the thing you're clicking on, which is very difficult if you can't see it. But with the combination of menu narration plus a linear focus, uh, controllers kind of automatically make themselves the best choice for the blind. Now, this isn't always the case. There are some developers who have adopted this strange habit of using uh, cursor movement even on controllers, which we hate. We absolutely hate. And we're, we're, we're doing our very best to discourage those developers from doing that ever, ever again. <laughs> Does it ever come down to, because I'm actually, I know I have the input already of what the controller looks like, but does some of it come down to like muscle memory of, of like on the controller knowing where each of the buttons are? Oh yeah. I mean, that, that happens naturally. And the more you use a controller, that's going to happen to basically everyone naturally. I just recently helped someone who had never played a PlayStation game before finish the last of us part one. 
And by the end of it, she knew exactly what she was doing. And it was awesome. And and how, so what other adaptions to help people or our controllers naturally set up in a way where you, because of the shape of the buttons and the layout, you kind of know what the controls are or am I missing a huge? No, I, I think, I think that still has to be learned. You know, I, with, with this person I just mentioned who had never played a PlayStation game before and then played the last of us, I was telling her what each button placement was. Like I literally just said, you know, when it says press triangle, that means the one over here, <laughs> you know? Right. Yeah. So yeah, that, that does still have to be learned, but once it is learned, it will be retained because then you start forming associations. Like, you may not think of it as triangle. You may think of it as the interact button, you know, something like that, you know? Uh, so once you start associating it with the game that you're playing, um, remembering what the, where the buttons are and what they are, is going to come naturally. Of course, then Nintendo have to go along, go along and swap a and a and B on yeah, their controllers. They? Yeah. It's, thanks. it's the Japanese way of thinking though. That's why they did that. And, also part of the u.s patent system unfortunately <laughs> but yeah i'm actually holding Wait, what yeah Wait, what? It, there's a patent on the nintendo controller so when xbox came out with stuff they could not use the controller layout that nintendo did oh. so they had to go separately and then i think playstation just decided i mean whoever came out with the controller after nintendo had to go differently and then Sony decided just to go symbols. They didn't have to even worry about getting in trouble with with Nintendo. And yeah, I'm, I'm feeling a PS five controller again. I have knowledge of it, but I was feeling it. I'm like, it's not very just just feeling the buttons. There's nothing to indicate what it is. I only have the knowledge. You're not told. You're not told by feeling the button, what it is. Uh, That is, that is hundred percent true. You know, and that's, that's something that could be solved. You know, I, I, I did I did a review of the PlayStation VR 2, and the setup of the PSVR 2 is actually fairly good at telling you during the setup process what the buttons on the unit are and what the dials are and where they are. So there could be, you know, at, at some point, it's obviously not there now, but there could be at some point in, in the setup of consoles, a kind of a, a short little controller tutorial. Like, mm. hey, here's the here's your controller. Here's what here's this button press it to continue <laughs> you know something like that that can help even sighted players because sometimes you're in the in the thick of the game and you need to immediately remember this because i know so many times then like god of war i was like which one's triangle again oh that one yeah. i'm dead <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah the god of war throws you right into it too like god of war does not hold back <laughs> no <laughs> You can die in the first scene of that game. <laughs> <laughs> this is not a game I've played yet, but it's a game I need to play. Uh, mostly because I want to hear Chris Judge uh, Chris Judge's um acting performance. Oh, he's very, very good. You'll be very you'll be very pleased, I think. And, and it's not, you know, obviously I'm just I'm just somehow expecting Richard Dean Anderson to pop along and have some witty comeback, but obviously not. No, uh, exactly no. Any, <laughs> no. No. Anyway, so what would you say if we, you know, if we take it back to say that that twenty fourteen time at at, uh, at uh, GD GDC, GDC. yeah, a uh, GDC, but that is, you know, what twenty twenty that's nine years ago. Wow, what which is scary in itself. Thank you. I'm not, you know, fast you approaching old. forty. <laughs> yeah, thanks for reminding me. Jeez. 
Jeez, Jake. <laughs> Thanks for that. Uh, you're not invited to my birthday party anymore, by the way. Uh, genuine question, Rob, before Jake keeps making fun of my age. <laughs> What are some? What would what would you say for him? It may be, certainly in the last nine years, but maybe going a little bit back. What do you think's been the big advancements in technology and game tech in particular that have enabled accessibility be to be part of games? Is are there any? Is there been some sort of breakthrough that's made it more feasible? Is it just been a gradual evolution of tech? It has been gradual. There have been some breakthroughs fairly recently in terms of uh, engine accessibility. I think that's where the biggest breakthroughs are coming now. The the engine makers are now taking note. Uh, Unity, Unreal, uh, they're they're finally getting behind us as far as accessibility goes, and even blind accessibility. Uh, and they are starting to implement features for the blind into the engines themselves which will make it, once implemented, a lot easier for developers to add those features for us uh, to their games. Uh, a good example of that is the Mortal Kombat mobile game, which used to be completely inaccessible to the blind, but now, thanks to some additions in the unit, uh, sorry, the Unreal Engine, supports voiceover. Not in every screen yet, they're still working on it, but it does support it, and uh, we can now kind of, sort of, play that game. <laughs> There's some missing pieces, but it's way, way more than it ever was before, so I can't complain too much. Which leads me to an interesting question for you, actually, because obviously noticing from the uh, the Squadcast interface, you are an iPhone user. Yep. Is it still true that Apple's voiceover is one of the better screen readers out there for uh, out of the box? Yeah, I, I would. I would say. Especially if you're if you're talking mobile, it's it's absolutely the go to. There is just no better option. I know some people that have gone to Android after using iPhones, you know, thinking to themselves, but Android is more open. You know, I don't like iPhones closed system, so I'm going to Android. I've also known those people to come back to iPhone because even though Android itself may be a more open system, less closed than Apple's iPhone, it, the screen reading technology on Android is significantly worse. Um, oh, that's there is just no better option than iPhone. It's, it's, it's completely, it's completely usable without sighted assistance. You can set it up from the go. You can get a brand new iPhone and immediately set it up on your own without any help at all. That's impressive. And I think the same is true on my Mac. I remember setting up this new Mac Mini. And, of course, it's talking to me straight away, saying, if you want to use voiceover... If you need voiceover, yeah, it tells you the command to press. Which is... And even just, like from again, looping back to my visual impairment, not my sight. Obviously, again, very different. I don't... Again, I don't need voiceover unless I'm having a really bad sight day, which sure, frankly but it can be nice. <laughs> it can and the yeah. voice has got a lot better but even just something as simple as for the longest time in mac os you were able to zoom in on the screen with just like a keyboard command or but um i think i had mine set up on a on a scroll a control and scroll on early mac os well it's taken windows 10 it i think honestly it took until windows 10 for windows to have that level of zoom and accessibility without yeah. really expensive i remember working at a bank once and they had to spend something like i think the equivalent of about a thousand dollars on very expensive screen magnification software mm, wow because it just wasn't on windows i think at the time windows nt and then windows what did we move to xp did we move to could be me yeah we, windows oh, ME. oh yeah oh, no. <laughs> Okay, I've got to I've got to share this because so I did I used to do a bit of like IT support work for a char- for a, lo- a charity where I used to live, and the the guy who was running the charity we were both tech nerds, and he said, "Hey, Windows ME's out. 
shall we install it on all the charity computers this weekend <laughs> and meet? We're both thinking, yeah, that's a great idea. Wonderful idea. Well, we installed it on the Friday afternoon after everyone had gone home. We got a pizza in. We got some, you know, uh, got some drinks in. And um, I think we got through the install and we said, okay, let's come back in Saturday afternoon and see how everything's going. By the Sunday afternoon, we were back on Windows 98 SE. <laughs> yeah, I'm not surprised. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But no, but I, and it, the reason I mention this is because Apple, for all their faults in the gaming space. Sure. I, yeah, I hear you there. I hear you there. Yeah. Accessibility is one of the big strengths. And I think it excites me what, you know, this whole game porting toolkit that is hitting with Sonoma combined the ability to easily port games from Windows from Intel to the to the Mac and voiceover. Yeah. You've potentially got a very accessible gaming platform. If developers and I think this is the whole hint, if developers will buy in. Yeah, they 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 have to want to do it. Like it's not gonna happen by itself. You know, it's it's gotta be something that they want to do. But if they want to do it, I'm one of the people that's here to help them do that. <laughs> there we go. And um, uh, any game developers or anyone from Apple or anyone listening, we will have a link to Brandon's website in the show notes. Please, if you know anyone who needs game dev accessibility consultation, go and hit up Brandon. I'm sure yeah. he'd appreciate a, a, a referral. I certainly will. I certainly will. I, I, I will, you know, I'll work on any game. Uh, there you in go. Fact, it actually goes beyond games sometimes. I've worked directly on the Twitch platform too uh, at one point. Oh so, wow! Yeah, so it's it's been how accessible. Been, how accessible is Twitch then these days? It's it's fine. <laughs> 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 there, there. You know, it's not perfect, but there was a time. Let me put this in perspective. Before I worked on on Twitch, uh, it was getting to a point where a blind person couldn't log in without help. It oh, was wow. getting bad. And that led me to write a very, very heartfelt blog post because I was, I was streaming on Twitch at the time. I still do that now and then. I haven't done it in a while, but I, I still do it now and then. And I was streaming and I, I ended up writing a very heartfelt blog post about how I might have to leave. I might have to stop streaming there because I couldn't log in anymore. There's, there's a bunch of things I couldn't do. I couldn't modify my video titles or anything anymore. And my blog post got some attention, uh, got sent to the, the Twitch team, and they hired me to help them fix it. <laughs> oh that's cool and yeah i uh, want to mention something too one, one big thing that i've seen people do is always is try to get free help and, and i'm glad studios and, and places are actually paying because yeah um your expertise and in your feedback can lead to sales for them so yes it can yeah. and it will have you ever had people that have tried to get like free feedback from you on sure. things? I mean, the thing is though, like I'm, I'm also a nice person. Like, and so I, I have a limit. So if, if someone comes up to me or message me on Twitter or something and ask me for some basic feedback, I'll probably give it to them for free. If they're, if they're just like, you know, I'm just curious about this one thing. Can you help me out? I might help them out. Um, but if we get specific and we're talking about their game and, and suddenly I'm like, you know, if they want me to test their game and then give them feedback and then do all that, that's when we get into to you got to pay me territory. But the, the interesting thing is is that I had I had uh, imposter syndrome for the longest time. I really did, and, and, and like there was a time when I thought that I should just give this stuff for free because you know how else would it get out there? <laughs> but like, but like 
it took me a while to accept the fact that not only did I, I deserve to be paid for my work, that I deserve to be paid a decent amount for my work. Yeah. yeah. Um, so like it, it shocked me back in the day, you know, it, it kind of gives you a window back into the way I used to think when my clients would actually tell me that I should increase my rates because I'm worth more than what I was charging them. That happened to me twice. Nice. And so I did increase my rates and no one has complained. <laughs> because you have, and this is something I want to just, and this is a really good message to send out there. Brandon, obviously speaking to you, your skills, your expertise, your particular set of skills. Um, I was about to do a very bad Liam, Liam Neeson. Neeson. Yeah. Uh-huh. yeah. I saw that one. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to yeah. find you. I don't know where you are and I'm going to make your game accessible. That's right. Yeah. I should, I should send threatening voicemails to developers. <laughs> I'm going to find you. <laughs> I will make your game playable. <laughs> wow. Um, but it's something I want to echo. Look, no matter what you do as your career, you are valuable. Your yeah, skills. You, you everyone, do deserve it. Yeah. It's why I, you know, look, when I've done IT consulting, it's why I char- charge a certain amount because sure. my skills are valuable. And yeah. it's, it's look, I've, I've been exactly where Brandon's been without imposter syndrome. Uh, being very honest, when I launched this version of Crosswise, I'm like, oh, we don't, we don't need another tech podcast. But some <laughs> of the feedback I've got has been so heartwarming. And to get described by, I mean, I'll give you a really great example because it loops into, uh, kind of our next, our next little thing, r- retro gaming. But I was at uh, the Cave and Arcade Archive. If folks, you haven't checked out the um, the stuff that Neil and Alex do at Arcade Archive. So, so Neil's up at the Cave up on the top floor. Alex is down in the on the in the ground floor. And these are two basically for for Brandon's reference. The Cave is a retro computer museum um, oh. and consoles, and the Arcade Archive is an arcade museum. Now. The cave was, you know, really not a problem. You know, yes, the, obviously there's some stuff that is a little trickier to see, but the arcade, because it was set up like a proper arcade, it was dark, obviously, with lots of noise. The problem I had was actually finding the controls and knowing what controls what on the arcade. Yeah. So I should mention to uh, Alex and Neil through the Discord, said, hey, look, look you know, I, I struggled with this. And I said, how about... Just a simple something as simple as a QR code that someone could scan that would give them a accessible set of you know control layouts for that the cabinet that you're playing on. Now that won't solve everyone's problem, but it's th- little things like that. And you know what made me smile is Alex is like I really hurt. he's like he was I think he was I don't think upset but I think Alex was concerned that it'd spoil my experience. He says no 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 it didn't spoil my experience. I just want to make sure it can be even better for everyone. And that's yeah. I think my mindset, but this then loops me to a question before we talk about, you know, where, where we still have ground to go in general for accessibility question comes to retro games. Like what can we do about people wanting to play like, you know, for example, old NES games or old Amiga games, which is, you know, my passion. There are things that are already being done on that, in that space, believe it or not. Um, I think the best example right now is there is a whole set of mods for the uh, Game Boy Pokemon titles that actually use Lua scripting to make them fully playable by the blind. They actually have added screen reader support to the the ROMs for those games. So 
you you launch the game, you launch this little accessibility script, and suddenly it's an accessible game. It even adds sound effects. It's pretty amazing. I've got a question on the origins of that script. Did that at all start because of Twitch Plays Pokemon? I have no idea. I I'm, I'm not. I only I found out about it through a friend of mine, so I don't know what the origin of the script actually is. Because I thought that was like I remember so many years ago being able to like, enter into chat and have it like like people were like into your chat commands to do things on on the game. So I didn't know yeah, if it I was that. But I love that because yeah, because there's so many so many great games, and I'm gonna guess a lot of this is through emulators. Yeah, this this would be through an emulator. Yeah, but it, it's for retro gaming though. I, I think there is no better excuse for emulators than accessibility. Honestly. Yeah. Um, Nintendo, for, are you listening? For, <laughs> right. For retro gaming, making older games accessible, emulators are probably the best way to do that. I hadn't thought about that until you just said it, because, yeah, you're not going to be able to go back and, you know, um, you obviously, for, for reference, I'm, behind me um, is in a flight case is an Amiga 500. Hmm. Well, there's no way am I going to be able to add screen reading or any sort right, of support to right, that. Right, exactly, exactly. But... In Win UAE or uh, AmiBerry, which is the Raspberry Pi Amiga emulator, uh, and I've, I've forgotten which one they use on. Uh, I think it actually might be AmiBerry on um, EmuDeck. You can again extend that and build scripts, and then you've maybe got you things built onto a platform. So it's actually probably wow, you've just shed light on something I hadn't even thought about um, the value of emulations because. I think, again, the, the subtle hint I made is Nintendo was saying emulation is effectively piracy. Yeah. No. No, this, this is the best reason for it. I had a, one, one question, Brandon, before we get into our final point um, uh, on this. One thing as you were talking about like traversing and, and, and describing, it almost makes me think about the fact that we lost something when we moved from text-based MUDs to 3D games. We're getting it back, though. You're right in the sense that we lost the the verbal descriptions of of things that are super cool, like they, they used to be back in those days. Man, Zork! Let's never forget Zork. Yes, um, indeed. But uh, you've been eaten by a Gru. Uh, anyway, <laughs> <laughs> but but yeah, in a way. But we're kind of getting back to that point uh, with things like audio description, and audio description is now breaking into the gaming space. Uh, Last of Us Part One uh, very famously features the first audio described cinematics. Yes. I was involved in that too. <laughs> First audio described cinematics in any video game ever. They won't be the only ones forever. I can I can tell you that much. That makes a lot of sense because again, the production process that games are going for now is sometimes I think it's fair to say there are games that probably have more post production and more production work done on them than some films. Yeah, yeah, that's probably true. You know, it's it's really interesting. And that then leads us into, and Jay, wonderful segment, a segue into this. What's missing? Where are we really struggling at the moment? Or what what needs to, if you could have, let me phrase this in the right way. If you could see one thing change to kickstart even more accessibility, what would you want to see changed? I think just those developers who just aren't there yet, um, who don't, see why they should make their games more accessible to other, you know, to the disabled. I would like to see the end of fake accessibility efforts. I don't want to get too specific here, but I'm tempted <laughs> because there's a fairly, there's a fairly recent game that has me quite angry. Um, Final Fantasy 16. Oh, 
Oh, okay. okay. I, thought you were going to, I thought you were going somewhere else for based on a blog post, but carry on. Final Fantasy 16, ladies and gentlemen, if you're disabled, I wish I could convince you not to play it. <laughs> because I don't think we should support the, the, the choices that they've made. Final Fantasy 16, in my opinion, despite the fact that they have an accessibility menu, despite the fact that some accessibility features exist, in my opinion, they do not want the disabled to play it. Here's why I think that. Final Fantasy XVI's accessibility features, uh, some of which are things like um, slow time for dodging, and um, you know, uh, make you know a feature that makes combos easier, things like that. Those features are not actually features. No, no, no. They're locked behind items that you have to have equipped in order to use those features. Which means, uh, number one, you're already being punished by the game for for using these features because. Having those items equipped in those slots means you can't equip anything else in those slots. If you need those features, you're screwed. So there's that. Point two, they actively punish you in a more active way in the game's arcade mode. After you complete missions in Final Fantasy XVI, apparently you can play them again in what's called arcade mode, where you're going for a score. But if you're using those those equipable items, you get a lower score automatically. And from what I hear... Uh, when you're on the leaderboard for that arcade mode, there is active, basically like upfront criticism uh, on the leaderboard for those who used those items to complete. So the ones who didn't can feel better about themselves. So, you know, I would like for that to stop. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It, I cannot n- name the game. But I know one that would turn off trophy mode, for instance, if you d- did certain things, and that sounds a, a lot like that. Yeah, it's it's similar to so, that. Um, why can't we name the game? I I cannot remember it. I know the game. Oh, oh, oh I see. Oh, I see what you. And I just okay. it's not coming to mind. But I remember this game <laughs> where it said, "If you enable this, we will disable. you don't get, you don't get trophies." Yeah, and and yeah. I've seen that happen more often in games. Again, I'm trying to recall it, but wow. It blows my mind that they are proud of this. Like they, fi- they think they figured out accessibility. They think they're doing a great job. Like they did a whole presentation on this. It blows my mind. That's not accessibility. No. That is no. that is that is basically a, a sympathy feature. It's, it's like, like oh well, it's like they, you can they play too. To, they wanted to check a box somewhere, and they feel like they've done that, and that's all it is. And that that's what needs to change. Uh, developers who think that kind of thing and think that kind of way. They need to get educated. They need to work with uh, those who are disabled to make accessibility features happen in their games. And we will help you do it correctly because we want to play your games. Man, oh man, was I disappointed. It's not just anger. It's disappointment. I've loved Final Fantasy all my life, but I have to throw down because this is wrong. Yeah. Um, I look, I share your frustrations, but, but you know, one of them, and again, this is not game related, but I'm going to actually call out Apple. Apple are normally really good at accessibility. Yeah. If it's an area, they're not. Apple News. Yes, it will have voiceover support. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I totally get you here. <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah. If I just don't allow publications to use their own fonts and make it so that there's a font size control for the whole of Apple News, I sometimes, even with my reading glasses on, I can't read some of the Apple News stories. There's, there's honestly, there's honestly voiceover problems with Apple News as well. There's, there's just like, you know, if 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 uh, the publishers uh, use their own layouts, sometimes that throws voiceover off too. So it goes both ways on that one. Ah, interesting. Okay, that's there you go, and that's another perspective. And I mean, one thing I'll say again: 
the technology for me as uh, I don't know how um, if you this is something you do even with uh, being visually impaired um, because of the nature of my eye conditions I struggle to read paper books so I do definitely rely on Kindles yeah and I know JJ's raising a hand but she does the same uh, iPads for me can I just give a huge shout out to yes it's an Amazon company but Audible <laughs> is one I of love the, Audible yeah isn't it great it is I love Audible I'm I'm always reading something on Audible so yeah I'm, I'm with you there. Yeah. Although I will say, uh, at least they finally fixed the narration on the Hunt for Red October. Uh, they, I think they did. A, I hadn't heard about that. They did a re-record on it because the original narration was so dry and wooden, you didn't get any excitement at all. Because the book is, if you've never read the book for Hunt for Red October, but you've seen the film. All the things that you wanted questions answered about of how did this work? How did that work? What was going on here? What was going on there? The book answers it all because, yeah. you know, I mean, obviously, give me a ping, Vasily, one ping only. It's not actually a line in my book. <laughs> that's a, that's definitely a movie line. And, uh, yeah. you know, yeah. careful writing. Some things in here don't react too well to bullets. It's also, uh, but that aside, yeah, Audible's brilliant. I mean, here's another great example of where we've actually done some accessibility learning during the course of this recording. And I think we're not going to, I don't think we're going to offend our friends at Squadcast by saying this because they are so open to this. Brandon said it's labeled well, but the problem is, correct me if I'm wrong here, it doesn't give you a state of a button. It just tells you what the button does. Right, exactly. Toggle microphone, except it doesn't say whether it's currently muted or not. <laughs> And it's things like that. Again, I think unless you've got someone who really knows the importance of that, and it's not a put-down at all. I think, it, is it fair to say, Brandon, but it's okay for developers to make mistakes if they're willing yes. to learn? Absolutely. Absolutely. 100%. We're, we are here to help. Um, make as many mistakes as you want along the way, as long as you're willing to learn from it and and get, do your best to, to fix it. Awesome. Jay, before we wrap up and, and let Brandon go off and enjoy the rest of his evening, um, <laughs> that's a Diablo 4 that's what I'm be doing for this Deb- evening is that yours? oh, oh nice. yes Diablo 4 I was at yes Bl- I was at BlizzCon when they uh, did the the launch trailer for that, and hearing the entire audience at the keynote, and yeah. there were like three different uh, theaters there, but hearing all of the, the audience is <laughs> just going wild with yeah. with excitement was so much fun. So yeah, I take it Diablo Four is accessible then. They have very good accessibility. Yeah, they they also have work to do, but they have see. But they, the thing is, they have a very open feedback system where they want accessibility feedback. And they do listen to it, and that's that's provable. So, yeah. Awesome. Jay, any final thoughts from yourself before we get Brandon to sort of do all the obligatory plugs of where we can find his content and uh, his, uh, his work? No, I, I think the biggest thing is the idea of always being open to refinement, always being open to question everything. And I think the biggest thing to always ask is where, for, for anything of, of the right way, right way to say it, always ask Am I missing a perspective in this situation? Yeah. And and if you want to take uh, from what I said earlier, always ask, why not? Exactly. Absolutely. So, Brandon, thank you again so much for your time. It's been honestly yeah. been a pleasure. I, ho- I hope you've enjoyed the discussion. And- oh, it's been great. It's been great. I've, awesome. been, I've been delighted. Awesome. So, where can people find you and where can people find out more about your work? Well, the cool thing is I'm fairly easy to find. Uh, you can find me as Super Blind Man basically everywhere on Twitter on Twitch, on Mastodon now as well. 
super blind man. Even on Discord, I'm super blind man. Uh, my website is brandoncole.net as well. If you want to check out my blog and my hiring page is also there. So game devs, I'm just saying. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I'm, that's 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 me. Fantastic, thank you. Right, well, folks, we'd love to hear your feedback. So as always, send your feedback. Um, maybe you've encountered accessibility issues in games. Maybe you've got questions. Send them over podcast at crosswires.net. Thank you as always for listening and we will roll that outro. Thanks for listening to this episode of Crosswires. We hope you've enjoyed our discussion and we'd love to hear your thoughts. So please drop us a note over to podcast at crosswires.net. You can also drop us a comment on the post or if you're a good pod user, why not start a discussion there too? You can also join our new Discord server at crosswires.net forward slash Discord. We've got forum channels for each episode and we'd love you to join the discussion there. You can also follow us on Mastodon at crosswires at mastodon.social. And of course, you can find the show in all the good podcast apps and all the really bad ones too. More of our content, head on over to crosswires.net slash YouTube for all our videos and keep an eye on our Twitch channel at crosswires.net slash live our upcoming streams. If you like what you heard, please do drop a review in your podcast directory of choice. It really does help spread the word about the show. And of course, if you can spare even the smallest amount of financial support, we'd be incredibly grateful. You can support us at ko-fi.com slash crosswires. That is ko-fi.com slash crosswires. Until next time, thanks for listening.